Today's guests are Cristina Nunez and Rich Gersten, and they are the co-founders of the venture capital firm True Beauty Ventures. Focusing on growth capital investments in the beauty and wellness space, their story is one you cannot miss. Hi everyone and welcome to Founded Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs who built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Main, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Main has been an incredible journey so far, and I've decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be sometimes quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, it's a delight to welcome our guest for today, Christina and Rich. Beauty veterans with a combined 45 years of beauty-focused investment experience, Christina and Rich have now started their own venture capital firm, True Beauty Ventures. They invest in beauty, wellness, and personal care businesses upon the premise that in beauty, true experience and true expertise matter. And trust me, it really does. The industry faces a lot of competition when it comes to investors, but what I love is that Rich and Christina are focused on brands in their early growth stage. They truly commit their expertise, trust, and extensive industry network in order to make meaningful investments in emerging brands with otherwise limited access to capital and expertise. They say that the beauty is both a market and a movement, which I couldn't say better myself. So it's an absolute honor to have them both with us. And also they're dear friends of mine too, which makes it even better as a conversation. So Christina Rich, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you so much. What kind words. We're so excited. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. I'm so excited. And like, it's my first actually... I, I've done a few, like obviously brands, we know this is what the podcast is here for. We've also done a few like press or like industry veterans like individual like makeup artists but this is my first like vc um and especially so it makes so perfect sense because you guys are to me a brand in its own identity like everyone when i talk about uh the beauty industry when i go speak to my friends in the industry we talk about brands and we talk about true beauty ventures it's like you come up in all the conversations i was like okay it makes so much sense. We have to have them on Founded Beauty. So um, I want to first ask this question. I ask all my guests. So I'm going to ask the same. And we'll start with Rich. So Rich, who in a nutshell is Rich? Yeah, I, I thought about this and I wasn't sure if it was personal or professional. So I actually found answers that merged both. But Perfect. for me, I would say kind, uh, hardworking, funny, or at least I think I am. And I think last but not least, paternal. Um, and I think if you ask my kids or my work colleagues, that's probably the trait that comes out most often these days. Couldn't say it better myself. You, you are, to me, like generally one of the most kindest people I've met. And I've only just met you, but you, the, the warmth I get from just hearing and speaking to you and just generally the people around me that have said stuff about you that have experienced a lot with you. It's truly that. So I can't wait to dwell in, but Christina, tell us who in a nutshell is Christina. So Christina in a nutshell is passionate, hardworking, dedicated, sometimes fiery um, person who honestly feels incredibly grateful every single day 
that I get to do what I love and I love what I do. And having that is, I think, such an amazing gift. So incredibly thankful for that. So, I mean... I'm going to go into like your individual stories because they're, I mean, to be honest, we should have separated the podcast because both of you have such an extensive, incredible career and a plethora of experiences. So I'm going to be really mean and ask first, Rich, if you could summarize your, I mean, what you've done to date before Tribute Ventures, you know, take your time, no rush, but just, uh, it's going to be hard to summarize it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a quite simple. I'm a, I'm an investor. All I've done since I've graduated from business school many moons ago, almost 30 years ago now, um, is be a private equity Mm. investor. And along that journey and for the last 20 plus years, it's been consumer sector focused private equity. And while I started doing consumer sector focused investing, I gravitated to this category called beauty, Um, made my first private equity investment in the beauty space back in 2002, um, so 20 years ago, almost to the day. And so it's been a consumer sector focused private equity journey for me. And in, in my last stop, which was at a firm called Tengram Capital Partners, where I was for nine years, somewhere along that way, probably my last seven years there, I just started exclusively focusing on the beauty space. And uh, in my nine years at Tengram, the firm made eight investments in the beauty space, and it was our most active uh, and I think most successful area as well. Um, And once I started just exclusively focusing on beauty, which was a self-made mandate. No one told me to do it. I just did it because honestly, I, I was good at it and I, and I loved it. Most importantly, um, I was meeting with anybody and anyone who was in the beauty space, including lots of founders, too small the day I'd meet with them. And, and over the last five or so years at Tengram, I said, there's a white space in the market for earlier stage investing brands. To your point, Akash, that are seeking capital and expertise at the same time. It just didn't exist. And when I would tell people my check minimum was 15 million and they would be looking for two or three, they would say, if not you, then who? And I would give them a big blank stare, just didn't didn't know where to point them. So I knew the white space was real, but it was really born out of a 20 plus year of traditional private equity investing in the beauty space. That's amazing. And I mean, why do you think it is that, um, that there hasn't been a sort of true beauty ventures um, in the past? Because it is something that small scale, fast growth beauty businesses have been here for a while. You know, we took in 10 years ago, there were, I mean, when you start, you are that. So why do you think there was only the the LCATs and these big players that also not just focusing on beauty, they focus on a lot of different verticals, number one, but as you said, rightly, their minimums are 10 plus usually or 15 plus. So why do you think that is? Yeah, I think the cynical answer would be economic, right? It's more lucrative to raise a larger fund. If you raise a larger fund, you're not going to write smaller checks. Mm. Um, I would also say cynically, it's harder to raise smaller funds. They're just harder to raise in terms of a vehicle. And so I think the white space actually exists for all the wrong reasons. Uh, For us, we love it because there really is nobody that does what we do in terms of the size of the check combined with the sector focus. And when Christina gets into her background, I think the complementary nature of our backgrounds is also a very important and unique part of our story. So the white space was real when we identified it. It remains real today. Clearly, it's getting more competitive. We've seen other funds since we've launched just in the past two years launch with a dedicated beauty and wellness focused strategy. And so like any other industry, ours is as competitive as yours. And there are people who are following 
our strategy. So I think it will continue to get more competitive, but being the first mover we think has advantages. 100%. And also just being authentic to, you know, your vision and you as founders, kind of your heart and your intention does truly shine. I think a lot of the time, um, there, it's always good to have competition in a way, a healthy competition, because it keeps us on the toes. It keeps innovation. Right. It shows there's market appetite. Um, but it's about, yeah, just staying true to your intentions. Which... But, but I think really importantly, we didn't, I mean, of course we launched the fund because we think beauty is an attractive area mm. to invest in. But we come at it with, in my case, 20 years of investing exactly. in the space. And in Christina's year, investing in operating space. Other people have launched funds focused on the space, I think solely because it's an attractive space to invest and don't necessarily come with the level of depth of experience that, that we have. And I can vouch for that because uh, we've, you know, as a as a brand that I guess you know would be very similar to some of the brands that you're definitely looking yeah. at and investing, we've had many uh, small VCs, new VCs come to us, and you can instantly tell that the expertise isn't quite there. Capital is, we know in in the reality, as capital is always there. If you need to find money, there's always ways to find money. But the most important missing link is the relevant, right, and trusted expertise, and hundred percent is what you guys bring through and thick and you know it's just exactly what you guys are all about which is um why i decided to have you guys and probably only you guys as my only vc on the podcast because it just for me it was i have to authentically feel what's the right kind of you know companies and brands and founders that i want to be in the future of of the industry so that's it but but we're also happy we're happy that you've had some of our founders on your podcast exactly i mean pretty much we're doing a good job picking brands yeah it's one big happy family (laughs) it's one and that's exactly that and now like i can tell you when i see all the stories of like the founders and you guys i'm getting such fomo i'm like i want to be i'm gonna we're gonna make sure i'll be part of the family one day too so we're gonna work on that because it's it's truly that that truly means so much i mean we are so passionate about this industry. We love it. We want everybody to succeed. If we could, we could, we would invest in many more brands and we would try to provide that guidance and expertise to as many as possible. Obviously we can't, but we love giving back to the industry and we love the collaborative nature of it. And so just, we, we do view it as one big happy family and learning from each other. We make each other better. We push each other and it's always important to continue to grow. Uh, and as investors and brand builders ourselves, I think that's just so important. It's so true. Couldn't say it better. But so, Christina, could you, uh, you know, again, summarize a little bit about your experience today? Yeah, absolutely. So my, I feel like I've had two lives because the first part of my career was very centered on finance and investing and kind of rising up the ranks. I started off in investment banking at UBS doing consumer. I then went to L. Catterton to pursue my private equity career as an associate. I then went to work for Rich at Tengram Capital as a senior associate. I kind of played in this finance investor box. And then I did something wild and crazy, which was to go to the company side because I also wanted to expand my experience and I wanted to learn what it was like to sit at the other side of the table. And so I joined a makeup brand, which was a portfolio company of Tangrams, where Rich was actually the lead partner on the deal. Um, And it was a brand called Laura Geller Beauty. And I joined there for a one-year stint to learn. And I ended up loving everything about beauty, loving everything about being at a company. And I stayed for three years until we sold the business. 
And then, yeah, and then I joined um, a smaller skincare brand as the GM, uh, and it's a brand called Clark's Botanicals. And so I partnered with Francesco Clark, the founder, and helped build that brand. And it was an amazing experience um, for me, having been at two different beauty businesses of different sizes, to really understand what it would take to grow at various levels and how hard it is, especially as an indie brand, to break through. And it's super relevant experience to where we are today, where I'm back in an investor seat, but with the experience of having been an operator and the direct experience of having worked in small brands myself. And so I can lend that perspective and that expertise to all of our partner brands and, you know, create that additional value as an investor. So true. And I, and I actually, like, I didn't actually know about the, the, the stint working in brand side, which is really valuable as well, because you get to see how it is and the, on the other side, of course. Um, fun, I think, I don't know if you know, but Ilana uh, also came on the pod, who was, I think, was, was the CEO of Laura Geller Beauty at one point? She was? Yeah, she was the CEO. She's a dear friend of ours. She's amazing. She's my mentor. She taught me everything i needed to know i'm still learning uh, from her about she is not only i mean i remember speaking to her so inspiring so she's so, so inspiring. inspiring and it's not only about you know being an executive in the industry but also being a working woman in her case a mom i'm not a mom yet but you know i aspire to do things the way that she has done them which is you know able to work at high, you know, high powered roles and careers in, in beauty as an executive, but also be an amazing mom and wife. And somehow she does it all and she looks beautiful doing it. And, um, she's just, she's a, an amazing fun leader, fun little, here's a little fun fact for you. Uh, 2017 dinner with myself, Christina and Alana, where the initial idea of true beauty ventures was actually hatched. No way. That's awesome. Not many people know this story, but it was now, okay. one where... Let's go on that. Tell us this story. <laughs> Both of you, but this is perfect well, segue to my next question. So take it let's away. Just say, let's just say we went to... It was a Women's Wear Daily. Well, I, was, I wasn't I was at the Women's Wear Daily um, Summit, but Rich and Alana were, and they did not attend the dinner, and they invited me instead to go, the three of us, and we had dinner, and, you know, we, we were, you know, had one bottle of wine. I say if I had ordered probably two bottles of wine, maybe True Beauty would have started earlier, but alas, I only ordered one. Um, but we told Rich, we pulled him aside and we said, you know what? You are so good at what you do. You love investing in beauty. You have been one of the few investors who has focused on this sector. Why don't you go off and do something on your own and create a vehicle where you could just invest in beauty and do what you love. And he thought it was a great idea. Oh, but they also said, and oh, by the way, oh, by the way, we'll do it with you if you do it. I did say that. I love that. Um, but at the time, he wasn't ready to do it. Um, and so, you know, flash forward a number of years and he was ready. And I felt so lucky that I was, you know, one of the calls that he made. He says the only call that he made um, to launch this with him. And it was probably one of the most amazing moments in, in my career where I got the call that, you know, someone that I admired so much, like Rich, who had been so accomplished in his career, wanted to do something really unique in this industry and wanted to do it with me. So it was, oh, it was a wonderful moment. That was back in February of 2020. 
I have to ask Rich, uh, what did you see in Christina? Apart from obviously what we all know, what I see in her today, what was that heart in you that went, okay, I want to build this with her? Well, it, it all starts with personal relationship and affinity. Like we're, we're friends. Yeah. Um, and being able to partner with a friend that you care about um, is, you know, first time in my career, ultimately been able to execute that. Um, but I thought the experience was very complimentary to mine and very important to our story. Right. And as you, as we'll talk about the evolution of the firm as well, like, you know, we're a female other than me, we're a female firm. We invest in categories that He's are outnumbered. Oh uh, yeah. I know. Yeah. I now know what it's like to be the young female investment banker at a dinner with seven men investment exactly. bankers. And it's can be, it's eye opening actually. But the reality is I, you know, it's, it starts with the friendship first and foremost, and then obviously the business strategy um, falls from there. But it's been it's been an absolute dream and a pleasure for us. So, so twenty twenty is when True TBV can I say TBV Tribute Ventures? Yeah, it's when it came to be. But how did that first like how does one a start? A firm in its in its in a way, and like, what was the first few months like? And also, bearing in mind, this is like pre or early pandemic, right? Oh, oh yes, yeah. so it's kind we, of we, uh, concurrent with pandemic. A hundred percent. I mean, there yeah. were times where we're like, should are we are we doing this? Should we keep doing this? Just given you know, it was we probably started going out to market to raise money in June, so two exactly two years ago. And things were crazy, but I think we had enough conviction in our backgrounds, our story, the white space opportunity that we felt like the time was right to do it, um, despite what was going on around us. But to answer your question, how do you build a fund from scratch? I mean, we were learning as we were going. Like Rich has yeah. had a ton of experience fundraising for other larger private equity firms, but when it's your own and you're building the foundation and the infrastructure and it's, it's a lot. Um, but I, I would, I will tell you, but I, I mean, I got to, like you talk about being able to put yourself in the seat of a founder, you know, we're founders, yeah. right? We might not, we may be exactly. investors too, but we're founders of our firm. We're trying to build our brand. We're trying to capitalize the business to execute our business plan. And so how many times did we have conversations with founders and said, we sit in your seat, we feel your pain. This You've got a capital raise, we have to capital raise. Your day job is running your business. Our day job is investing the yeah. capital once we raise well, it. This capital raise, hire, it's a distraction, yeah. but it's the necessary. It's, well, yeah, you got to like, there's other lines are, are so clear like the the trademarking the name or coming up with the name the, the, the office space if you when do you uh, hire bills. who do you hire paying the bills uh yeah. but now management plus the fact that you're also kind of living through the lens of the brands that you're also investing in right so you also got the headaches or some of the headaches that you might want to like share with them as well and the benefits yeah. too so it is a lot of layers but at the same time what i love about why i asked that question what i love about it is it's the same as what i say when how people ask me like how did you build fable it's like you don't know until you try you just like just do it approach you step by step you learn you ask the questions you use mentors you figure it out you make mistakes and it's no different to a firm building a firm and you ask for feedback gosh when we first started pitching let's just say it wasn't a very concise or clear story you're telling your story and you're trying to convince people in a very short period of time to give you money it's yeah. it's a skill that you hone and you refine over time. Um, but we always tried to talk to as many people as possible, 
ask for feedback, talk to people who had done this before, right? So yeah. just humbly go to them and ask them what they did, what challenges they faced, and, and just constantly learn. And Rich and I have this habit, and we do it with everything, um, really is like a, a post-mortem. You know, what went right? What didn't go right? What did we learn from it? And we, we also say it's never, you know, it's never, uh, it's, you don't lose anything by failing ultimately, but what you really, you really lose something if you don't correct that the next time, right? It's okay to have failed and made a mistake, but let's fix it for the next time. And it's just something that we ingrain in everything that we do. And we try to instill it in our own team and, and even in our, our partner brands too. It's like, come to us with the mistakes, the questions, the quote unquote failures first, but the challenges so that we can help you and we can help you fix that early. Because ultimately our strategy and why we love investing in brands early is you can come in and we could come in and help them avoid mistakes because mistakes cost time, they cost money. And yes, investing early may be harder in some respects because the brand is quite new. You're building, you're still building infrastructure. You're still building awareness. There's not necessarily a ton of scale and growth yet, but for us, it's actually not that hard because we, if we can come in and apply the learnings that we have seen from other brands, other playbooks that have worked, other you know ways to get to growth faster, if we could guide in that way and then also help avoid mistakes that you don't have to correct correct down the road it's actually a much easier we think strategy to execute and here's here's a perfect example we have you know we do a mentorship program with beauty independent we just graduated our first cohort of three we have a new cohort we've just selected excited about that but like you know a couple of the founders and one in particular had had meaningful cost of goods problems right her cost of goods were too high she talked about it on the webinar and to get in in her first year before she has a big assortment, before she's launched any retail accounts where it becomes much more problematic to be able to course correct with her. I've invested in brands 10 years old doing 30 million or more in sales who have cost of goods problems. It is so much harder to correct them at that point. And you think you can innovate your way out of it with the creative launches. It just doesn't work, right? Because you have old heroes that never go away that, that become problematic. And that for us, like to get in early and make it easier for both the founder and then ourselves as an investor is, 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 is very yeah, rewarding. 100%. It requires time and effort though, which is why, exactly. you know, in some respects, we are not executing a traditional VC playbook where we're investing in tons of brands and sprinkling small checks into 30 plus, you know, small investments, hoping one of them is, hmm. you know, let's say a, a Look, billion a dollar exit, billion, right? A unicorn, exactly. even though there's very few unicorns in beauty, but yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's not our strategy, right? Our strategy is to actually invest in fewer brands because we want to spend much more time with founders. We want to be available to them so that when they can come to us with those issues, you know, we can dedicate as much time as possible to helping them work through it. And so mm -hmm. it's super important that we actually, you know, carve out the amount of brands so that it's, you know, equal with our own capacities and our team's capacity. And so it's, it's a very important part of our strategy if we're going to be value-add investors. I think one thing is I will say is what I really 
genuinely feel about GBD Ventures is you're not building a portfolio, you're building a family. And you've even said that before, right? And it's exactly that, you know, it's about giving the love and nurture and care to grow and build that the family you're creating, not as many hoping one will work and figure it out. And then you also want to make sure by keeping a small, lean, heartfelt, agile team, you can give the time and the expertise that you guys have properly, right? And that's something that, I think is exactly what you're, you're doing and you're doing it so effectively. But I do want to ask, how did that initial family, I'm not going to talk portfolio, family start? Like what was the first few brands that you started to get on board and where are you at today? Yeah, I, I think I'll take, I'll take a first crack at that. I think, you know, we are incredibly selective in part because we're building a concentrated portfolio. So we've made nine investments to date, one of which has not been disclosed. Um, we've looked at over 900 brands in less than two years, which again goes to show you how many brands there are out there. One could argue too many, um, but yeah. we're incredibly selective. One out of every hundred plus kind of peaks our interest. Um, and we're incredibly proud of the brands that we've assembled and the brands in our portfolio help build our brand, right? So if brands in our portfolio are brands that people in the industry admire and respect, then those other founders may want to feel they should join that collective of brands or whatever you want to call it. So we're, we're very cognizant about, you know, identifying what we call power brands in the industry and assembling a small yeah. portfolio of them. Uh, many of the early deals, in fact, the first two investments we made were founders I had known well before launching True Beauty Venture. So again, one of the benefits of being in the space a long time is you've come to the table with built-in relationships and in, in probably three cases overall investments that materialize from those pre-existing relationships. But we have a pretty detailed filter. Uh, we, we say we filter in brands more than we filter out brands because most brands yeah. come to us <laughs> kind of dead on arrival and they need to have something special that allows uh, us to filter them in. And so um, yeah. we execute against that filter, but we've also realized you talk about the postmortems Christina is mentioning is the end of the day, your gut, like if your initial gut instinct is positive, kind of trust your gut in this business. You got to, you know, we're analytical. We've seen a lot, but at the end of the day, you got to trust your gut. And if a founder or a brand feels special to you, you have to lean in. Yeah. And I'll give you an example of that. And it's, it's our first investment um, was K-18, Aquas and K-18. Yeah. And that was one where, to Rich's point, it was a relationship that he had with Sabine and Britta for four or five years leading up to, to the investment. And we we didn't even have our fundraise. <laughs> we um, were still, we hadn't had our first close um, because we invested in August of 2020. But it was one of those things where the pre-existing relationship with the two founders and mm -hmm. the gut feeling that K-18 would be a breakthrough brand encouraged us so much and gave us so much conviction to do it that Rich and I and another investor that became an LP in the fund essentially bridged it with our own money. Um, to get it nice. done until we had a first close. We felt so strongly about that opportunity. And at that point, K-18 wasn't even truly commercialized yet. It was still being tested in its kind of beta phase in um, Australia. And, you know, but Rich and I just knew there was going to be something really special about 
the technology and the positioning and just everything about um, the brand. And so that was our first investment. And, you know, since then, we always, we always tell Suveen and Britta, we never forget our first. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> but that was a, that's a perfect example of just gut. There wasn't any yeah. data necessarily to validate on K18 because it hadn't been launched yet. Um, you know, ever since then, we've been focusing a little bit more on brands that have some proof of concept and some commercial traction. We've made a couple exceptions of, again, something where we felt really uh, either strong conviction in the founder or the idea and the product and the retailer that was going to back it, um, where we've come in a little bit before commercialization. But other than that, we try to spend time gathering as much data as possible for these early stage brands. But oftentimes it's not a lot. And, you know, it's it's really it's a combination of the art and the science of it and validating what we feel in our gut with what the data could tell us, what the network tells us and the entire beauty ecosystem that we've created to really validate whether or not this could be a successful outcome. And it's so far, I mean, it's been an amazing learning and process and the fact that we're up to nine brands in two years yeah. since we launched is is amazing. I'm, I'm so proud of, of the work that we've done as a team and just the horsepower that we have as a small team. It's It really it blows my mind. And I think it's because we've assembled individuals who are so passionate about beauty. Mm. And we always say this, you have to be passionate about beauty if you're going to be successful in this industry because this is all we do. We're not mixing it with other consumer categories. We are laser focused on this. We read everything about what's going on in the industry. We sleep it, we breathe it, we eat it. It's, it's, it's our life. And so that's the way that we can become the best investor, the best partner to our partner brands. And that's how we think we can be the most successful uh, long-term with, with each of our funds. I think we also learned over time that we know founders like you talk to lots of other founders. Um, and we have found that our founder flywheel is becoming a bit of an asset for us as well, right? If founders have a good experience with us as partners, then they're likely to uh, influence or help you know, our cause when we're talking to other founders. So that founder referral or that founder reference becomes increasingly important asset for us. And I think just, just to piggyback on that, I, I think that's another reason why if you go back to like our, what we stand for, what we focus on. I think another important thing that, that, that we stand for is, is being good people and just having really strong values as people, because those founders that are going to go out and potentially refer us or talk about us, they're going to base it on their experience with us as not only investors, but human beings and real partners to them. And that's something that is so core to what we do and who we are. And I think it differentiates us quite honestly, from a lot of, a lot of other investors that are out there that are starting to dabble in beauty and, you know, play in our space. Yeah, they're definitely, I mean, one thing I do want to ask is about, managed to, you know, over the last two years, get an incredible um, group of nine brands that for me makes so perfect sense, so much synergy. And also all of them will be huge brands going forward. So you've really, you really, you know what you're looking for, I can really tell. But 
doing these like deals and negotiating terms and stuff is it's a lot harder when you're not face to face all the time and in the pandemic it was all sometimes zooms and this and how, what was the reality of that like during the pandemic specifically well i think the good news is to the point i raised earlier there was some pre-existing relationships we already had built right so those became easier i think kinship was the first investment we made that was purely virtual had never met him in person it was a series of zooms and we were so excited i think we saw i think i saw Kristen like have meaningful time later. And then we've subsequently met them a lot. They're actually in the city last night. So check our Instagram if you want FOMO for last night, Akash. Um, but like you do the best you can. I mean, everybody was in the same boat back then, right? But increasingly now we're trying to make sure we can go IRL with people before we invest. And we've also learned, you know, one of our postmortems and big learnings is get to know founders really well before you invest. Don't react to a founder that necessarily is raising money on a short timeline that you don't have a pre-existing relationship with, but meet them before they need to raise and build a six-month relationship and become, you know, build that relationship and parlay that into an investment opportunity over time. And we have case studies after case studies of us doing that. But you you learned to take the risk of doing it virtually because you had no choice. Um, but as the world reopens, I think we're very cognizant about doing our best we can to, to build in-person relationships before we invest. Definitely. I mean, it is sort of like... Uh, there is nothing like a good in-person meeting to in reality. We had to react to whatever we could do during the time of COVID, but I love the fact that now we're able to travel again. And, you know, even when we met in person, Christina, I haven't met you, Rich, yeah. we're going to meet very yeah. soon. Uh, but uh, when we met in Miami, it just makes such a difference because you really then go deeper sometimes, you know, totally. just in connecting in person. It makes a big difference. Yeah, I mean, um, there is something about just picking up on somebody's energy. That's really hard exactly. to do. It's energy. Yeah. It's energy. Like, you know, when you are in, engaged in a real conversation with someone looking eye to eye, I mean, I think that that's very, very valuable. And you're right. I mean, we couldn't do it during COVID. Gosh, we raised an entire fund over Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, you know, so those are investors, again, trying vetting and trusting us over Zoom that came into our fund, same as we were doing with our um brand founders. But I do think that you can still get a lot from, even if it's just a, a volume of Zooms, because you get to capture people mm-hmm. in different on different days and different moments. And, you know, yeah. we were talking earlier about a, a kid crying or a dog barking or something happening in the middle of the Zoom. And how do people react to that? You want to see them in their, so, again, human elements that come through as much as possible. In their habitat. In their yeah. habitat, exactly. I, I think so, we're, so we're fortunate as beauty-focused investors. We are largely dealing with brands that are based in New York, where many of us live, increasingly in Miami, where Christina lives. And I think we we now have a bit of a concerted effort to try and spend at least a week every quarter out in California mm-hmm. because we, we have four brands out there and lots of potential prospects. So between generally... San Fran, LA, New York, and Miami, our universe is largely covered. And so we're fortunate that we're present uh, in those spaces. It really helps. Yeah, I think you have an effort to make me have a lot of FOMO. That's what I feel, being in London. (laughs) (laughs) Because the last few weeks, I'm literally like, oh, I had a taster when I came to Miami. Like the beauty space, seeing you guys. And now I'm back in London, but not to be crude, but the beauty space is like not as happening as US. So it's definitely... We'll take you any time. Yeah. 
I'm coming. We'll make it happen. Well, yeah. um, one thing I would love to do before we kind of go into the fire round questions yeah. and um, a little bit about into the personal side, I just want to ask for people listening in who are two questions. I'm going to start with the first one for brands looking at raising. Um, and more in the early stage, right? Either pre-concept uh, or just concept and figuring out what they need and how to start uh, that balance between how much equity do I give up before we're even launched to then even the early stage, then how to kickstart it, fuel it. And these periods, what advice would you give to founders today from the investment side? I would say first and foremost is just talk to as many people as possible and create a community of founder friends, a founder network, just to learn how people, what paths people took, because there are so many different ways to do it. There's not one right way. And we get asked all the time, should we raise a friends and family before we do this? Should we do a note before we do a price round? There's so many different variations, but learn from the experience of people who've done this before and, and try to gather those as a data set. And then I think it's, if you're pre-commercialization, there are certain investors to speak to that are comfortable making those types of investments. So just really do your homework on what type of investor is interested in what stage and what category. Because the worst thing that you could do is just try to talk to every type of investor and then you're wasting your time, you're wasting their time because their time. Yeah. yeah, just it's not gonna it's not gonna work. It's not gonna be a fit. So just make sure you can find the fit. Um and then, you know, just figure out, develop a small plan for yourself and kind of, again, it's a, it's a guess as to what you'll, what metrics you're going to hit or what, how quickly you're going to grow, but just having something on paper to substantiate your idea and your background and experience, I think is really important. So sitting down and laying all of that out, because when you're going to pitch to an investor, they want to know who you are because really they're taking a bet on you as a founder at that stage. Um, What your idea is, how you tested it somewhat to validate that this could be, there could be some product market fit and then ultimately how you plan to grow it and what the uses of the capital that you're trying to raise are for, how they're going to get you from point A to point B. And then when you're at point B, how do you get to point C? And all that could change, but at least having a roadmap is really good to sit down and think through. The moral of the story is there just isn't one size fits all. And we've seen it all, right? It's, there's just no one size fits all. But what we have learned over time, I think in my experience, both on the PE and the early stage investing side, is make sure you understand your investors' objectives um, and that they are aligned with yours as a founder so that there's no confusion over what success looks like, right? Because investors are all about managing expectations. And uh, if expectations don't pan out, investors generally get frustrated. And so make sure the expectations are clear going in so that you don't have that misalignment. Um, Because, you know, we've gone through a period of time where it was largely growth at all costs. Again, that's not us. But if you were an investor who was growth at all costs and the founder wasn't growing at all costs, that was a problem, right? And I think um, just knowing what success looks like and alignment with your investor, more in the institutional phase, more than the seed, you know, the family and friends or angel stage, but it's really important because you don't want to set yourself up for failure, even if you think you're doing well. It's such invaluable advice. And my, my second question is actually on the 
kind of flip side in a way and more even relevant to me right now where I've started to write a few checks, very small. Oh, you should just commit to our fund. It'll be safer. I know. I should just do that. Maybe. We should talk about it later. Because, uh, I have like a, I'm just doing it privately and then I'm like, I'm not big enough in each one to have anything of any say, but it's like, I get the opportunities for like... Wait, you, you'd be surprised how many beauty founders, beauty executives... Um, are in RLP base. It's actually even, I mean, even investment bankers who were writing one-off personal checks is that, you know what, I'm better off kind of concentrating it through yeah. you and having you manage it. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's just, okay. That's just open. We'll talk later. <laughs> um, but a question on that is for people looking to, whether it's going into a fund or personally write small checks, what advice would you give people venturing out into the investment industry as, a, as their own VC? As an individual, I wrote a lot of personal checks before. Again, Tubity Ventures is in part born out of some personal frustration of seeing amazing founders of brands and not being able to invest in many of them. But occasionally I would invest in one. One of them I actually personally invested in was Moonjuice, which is now a True Beauty Ventures investment. So it was a personal relationship that had been built over four years. And I met Amanda when she was reasonably young and starting out. But my, my advice to any individual who's cutting a check is assume you're going to lose it. Like assume, write, yeah. write an amount that you're comfortable losing because you have to assume you're going to lose it. Exactly. That's a really good advice. And if you're trying yeah. to break into VC and you're trying to raise a fund, as an example, and take it to the next level, I would say, you know, maybe start off if you've been writing some personal checks, you really want to build a track record. So maybe it's start off by creating SPVs and trying to get investors to come along with you and lead deals and source them. And you start to kind of expand beyond these like single checks to, you know, doing more and more of these SPVs. And then before you know it, you can have a track record to look back on, to reflect yourself on, right. Am I good at this one? But you know, are there certain um, categories I'm really good at and I had a much better hit rate here versus here and just kind of, figuring out where, where you tend to work better early stage, you know, later stage, there, there's all these questions. Um, and so the more that you can refine that for yourself and network amongst others, and again, learn from people that are around you. And there's this, there's so many great communities of, of small VCs that love helping each other. And I think it's that knowledge transfer and knowledge sharing that makes us all better. So just plug yourself into as many of those things as possible. I love that. I mean, for anyone listening, uh, I'm going to just explain, Christina, in case they don't know what SVP is. It's basically when you are pooling an investor, right? Like yep. different investors into one single investment. Yep. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. Which yeah. is a great way. Again, collaballation and yeah, also if you're it really, just gives you, yeah, some If you feel really mind. strongly about an opportunity and you know they want to raise, I don't know, 500000 or a million dollars and it's much easier for you to kind of as an investor lead, go to, go out to a set of investors and try to gather all of that and create one check for the brand to take in versus like 20 or 30 checks. So you actually help a brand out a lot and then you can build your own track record like that. I love that. So such invaluable advice from both sides of the, the, 
the coin. So thank you for that, uh, especially for me. And we will talk later because I've now <laughs> opened my mind to something I did not think about. Well, um, there's, there's yeah. fun, fun too is coming, coming up soon. Yeah. We're, uh, we're about we're, to we're, we're speaking. We're speaking. So. We're speaking offline. Don't you worry about that, that happening because, uh, yeah, uh, many things to talk about. But um, before we go to fire, well, no, we'll go to fire round because I normally do a, a desert island question. And I was thinking if I was going to adapt it to you guys, it would be the most cruelest thing because i'll be like saying you have one plus one which brand are you going to take on i don't want any issues in your company so we we love love, it's my maternal it's my paternal instinct we love all of our children exactly you're gonna smuggle them all to this island so it's gonna it'll be fine so i'm gonna assume the answer is this so let's just get straight to fire on questions so i'm gonna start with um you rich and then christina so um first question Oh, it's going to be hard as well. But let's say, forget Fable Main, because we know, and forget all your TBV um, investments. Yep. What's another beauty brand that you're currently loving? Oh, Christina, can we even share that? Or is that a possible? I don't know. I don't know. I think we can. In terms of you so- using it. In terms of, oh, as yeah, a like consumer. you use it. As a consumer, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, actually, as a consumer right now, I'm very obsessed with the puffiness under my eyes. My team tells me I drink too much, don't drink enough water. So what I'm drinking too much of isn't water, that I'm not drinking enough water and I'm working hard, not getting enough sleep, and thus the problem. Story of my life. So I am, I'm, I'm, I'm experimenting with different eye creams and eye bombs, but always using the Dew Forever eye mask uh, in order to make it work the best. Love that. Christina? Okay, I will share... Uh, before Christina answers, and it's very frustrating to me that we have an amazing portfolio of hair care brands, and I cannot experience any of them for different reasons. <laughs> but, oh. hey, you can always put a great scalp serum on, <laughs> massage, enjoy. Savine tells me I can use K18 in my beard when I grow it out, so that's, that's a plus. Exactly, exactly, very true. Go ahead, Christina. Okay, well, I, I'll, I'll share a brand that we're, that's not in our family so that no one gets upset. Um, but I really, really love the uh, Ranavat oil, uh, the saffron. It's it's amazing. It's my holy it's grail. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I adore Michelle. Um, Michelle. I wish she was in the TBV fam as well. Um, yeah. But that's one where I just, I love the experience and it just kind of takes yeah. me somewhere else. It just makes me relax and it's just really enjoyable. She's going to London soon. Make sure you connect with her. Yeah, yes. yeah, we, we we speak all the time. She's incredible, and uh, I mean, obviously, as an I, and now she's you know, launching Sephora yeah. soon and all that stuff. It's already happened in online. It's it's exciting. So I'm really yeah, excited for she's, her. She's done an incredible uh, job, and we're huge fans yeah. of her. So my next question is: What's a guilty pleasure of yours, Rich? Uh, depends on your definition of guilty. My uh, sure. team seems to think my cigar smoking on the golf course uh, is guilty. I find nothing, That's two in one. I find nothing That's guilty two in one. about it, to be fair, but I, I do enjoy a cigar during a round of golf. Love it. Christina? Um, okay, I won't... I want to go with food, but I won't because I have so many guilty pleasures on food. But I'll say, like, guilty pleasure that people... that I just can binge on all day long that I've seen a hundred times is Grey's Anatomy. I will pop that on and just watch. And there's 20 seasons, so 
I'll just watch the entire and this, day. This comes from someone who claims claims not to watch TV, yet she'll binge 20 seasons of Grey's Anatomy <laughs> somehow. But Christina's true guilty pleasure, which she won't mention, is truffle fries because I've seen her go at them. Um, that's got to be on the list. Yeah. I mean, there's so I many food things. I'm a sucker for any fry, fries, pizza, dessert, <laughs> you name it. This is why I have to work out every single day. Otherwise, I'll lose my mind. But I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, well, what are you currently watching or reading? Uh, I think I know Christina's answer, but let's see about Rich first. <laughs> uh, I just finished watching Lincoln Lawyer on Netflix, which I actually enjoyed very much. And I'm in the market for something new. Uh, I watch a lot of sports, but with the U.S. sports seasons winding down right now, it actually creates some incremental time for me to the extent I can create the time. But I, I do enjoy watching a good series and, and a good show. And, and in terms of reading, I when I'm in Florida, which is about half a year, I tend to read much more frequently down there than I do up north. But it's, I have found that reading for me is a, is a great escape, um, especially when I'm down in Florida. So nice. I don't read. <laughs> I know that sounds bad. I you, don't. I, you I'm audio saying. read. I audio read too. I, yes, I, that's what I, I audio. I do a lot of audible. Um, because I'll do it when I'm running or running or going from meeting to meeting in a car, walking, whatever. Um, and currently I'm listening to Katie Kirk's book, Going There. And the impetus of that was I met her in person, actually. Uh, we had an event for Maud, our sexual wellness brand. And they invited Katie Kirk and she said yes, and she showed up. And I have to say she was one of the most incredible authentic, just nice people I've ever met. And so I immediately downloaded her book and I've laughed. I cried. She has had the most amazing wow. life and she narrates it. So her and her voice is just amazing too. Oh, and you just, you know, it's a great experience. I highly, highly recommend it. And that's, I'm almost done with it. So that's my current read in quotes um what's your favorite social media platform right now rich oh well, my team makes fun of me because i'm on linkedin like they're on tiktok and instagram so rich i'm like you i'm also <laughs> on instagram and tiktok don't get me wrong but i prefer linkedin yeah. the most it's my favorite. that's my social platform yeah. honestly i i'm still stuck on instagram i've tried to make the crossover to tiktok i i need someone to really teach me one of our colleagues caroline is obsessed with TikTok and watches it for hours before going to bed. And I just, I can't get into it that way. I'm just old fashioned, I guess, but in a way you guys are perfect. You're conquering and dividing. You've got LinkedIn with Rich, Instagram with you and Caroline's got TikTok. Exactly. We're trying to get our colleague Kendall to pick up Twitter more. (laughs) Perfect. Everywhere. That's what you want. I like to hear that. Um, What's your favorite quote or mantra, Rich? You know, I like, don't take anything for granted. Um, I like easy money doesn't exist. Those are trying to get easy money. It doesn't happen. And I do try and ascribe by work hard, play hard uh, to the extent possible. Yeah. 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 Christina? Um, I would say there's a couple. One, I kind of joke around with uh, to my husband a lot is scared money don't make money. (laughs) So definitely you know, take risks and, and do that. My yeah. is very conservative. So we're, we're a good, we're a good match. Um, I also really like, uh, we have one internally for true beauty called 
you know, the wins and learns because it's never a win and a loss. You can always turn a loss into a learn. And that's something that we wholeheartedly believe in. And we try to instill that across our entire organization and with all our, our partner brands. So that one's really important. It's, you know, being optimistic about, about your situation and, and what can you do to improve it? Because you can't affect what happens to you. What happens happens, yeah. but you can affect how you react to it. And you can affect how, you know, it makes you feel and how you act going forward. So that's, um, so those true. are two very different, but important ones. I love them. Um, my last question is, if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur, investor, what would you be doing right now, Rich? Yeah, my passion has always been sports. Um, you know, if there was, if there was a career, wouldn't be as a player given my current condition, but if, if there was a career for me in the sports industry, broadly speaking, I think I would have really enjoyed that. I love that. I would be on Broadway. I would love to be on Broadway. I'm not a great singer, but I'm good enough to maybe be in like the background (laughs) and just to be on stage. Oh, I have so much admiration for Broadway singers and performers. And um, it's definitely my go-to karaoke genre. So if you ever want to go to karaokea, I'll I'll I love Broadway. Let's do, let's Let's do, let's do, we'll we'll do theater in London with the Kosh. Yeah. Done. Uh, We'll make sure when you come, we'll make sure we'll get a really good one and we'll make it happen because I love theater. So it's perfect. Broadway musicals, whatever it is, I'm down. But guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Also very eye-opening, learned so much, but also um, we're going to continue talking because other stuff I've learned too. Um, so but in the meantime, where can everyone listening um, follow you guys personally and also Tribute Ventures and keep up to date with all the great stuff you're doing? Yeah, our, our website always, uh, com. We can definitely, we receive shockingly a lot, a large number of inbounds through that website daily it's actually quite remarkable obviously for me linkedin's always always the best yeah i would say um linkedin or instagram we're also very active and responsive on on instagram so if you go to our handle at tribute ventures on instagram we'll respond fairly quickly and then um i'm also pretty active as i said on instagram so christina underscore m underscore nunez and and i'll respond on linkedin as well we'll try our best we may not respond in 24 hours but we do try to get back to everybody and um those are those are awesome ways to reach out and you know if you are going to reach out think about those advice um those valuable advices that rich and christina said and making sure you put yourself also in the investors um shoes um to make sure like you know you're maximizing the opportunity you have to make it worth everyone's time you're not wasting your time their time so that's very important because sometimes uh, a bit of homework is needed before yeah. the reach out. The I reach think out coming, easy. Total, yeah, I mean, yeah, coming across good. as a founder who's clear, concise, and focused, those are huge for us. In addition to being passionate and super hardworking and a go-getter, there's those qualities of just being able to articulate exactly what you want to accomplish, knowing how you're going to do it and knowing who you want to partner with to get there. Couldn't say it better. So thanks so much. And till we see you in New York or Miami or London very soon. Till we meet again, my friend. Thank you so much. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you. (laughs) 
hope you enjoyed this episode of Founded Beauty as much as I had making it. And if you did, please share it with a friend who you think will love it too. Founded Beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music Podcasts, the Acast app, and many more. And I'm also very proud to be part of the Acast Creator Network. So be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop. We really appreciate every single follow, listen, share, and review. It truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. So as a little thank you, I will be hosting a giveaway each week on my Instagram channel at meta underscore a, where you can win some amazing Fable and Main goodies. All you have to do is follow me, check out my stories and all will be revealed. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops. <laughs>